Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Thanks for joining us at Oak City Church. We're glad that you've tuned in this morning. And I want to start my message with a question uh, that I hope is ultimately going to encourage you. And the question is just, what, do you, what are you good at? What, think for a second about, you know, two, three, four things that you think, I'm pretty good at those things. I don't think we think about those things that often. If you're with some people right now, uh, you can, you know, press pause. We're pre-recorded. You can press pause on this and, um, and talk it over with the people that are around you and uh, ask them what you're good at. Tell them. Uh, what they're good at. Text me what I'm good at, whatever, you, you know, but spend some time, spend a minute talking about that. If you're alone, text somebody, uh, text a friend, say, hey, you know, watching the sermon, what am I good at? And, uh, and bounce that around with some people. I was thinking about that this week in, in context of the sermon and thought, there's some things about my job I'm, I'm pretty good at. I think I'm, I've gotten pretty good at preaching, uh, and I don't think you would still be listening if I wasn't halfway decent at that. So I think that's a thing. I think, uh, I think I'm pretty good at cooking. Uh, I like to cook. I like to eat, and I like to eat stuff that tastes good. So um, I, uh, I enjoy that. We got a lot of people in our house. There's a lot of eating that has to go on, and so I like to cook. Um, I think being a dad is something that I've gotten um, pretty good at. Honestly, I was thinking about that. I'm, I'm like, I, I think I rate higher as a dad than a husband. Sorry, Bobby Joe, about that. But, but I feel like that's something I'm, um, I'm good at. So what are, you, what are you good at? And, and next, like, why are you good at those things? Uh, how is it that you got good at doing those things? And some of that is probably natural talent. You know, it's, um, it's stuff that you're naturally good at, and we, we feel good about stuff that we're good at, so we keep doing the things that we're good at. Some of it is training. You know, you found something that you like doing, and so you took a class on it, or you, you, know, you went to school for it, or you got lessons, or you read a book, or you took a course, or you watched a YouTube video, or a TED Talk, or whatever it is to get better at that thing um, that you're good at. You got training. It didn't happen by accident, you know? Uh, Mark Gregory was in here last weekend helping us with some electrical stuff. He's an electrician. I don't think he got good at that by trial and error. You know, it wasn't a few YouTube videos. Like, he got trained at it, and that's, that's what we do. Um, some of it is just hard work and practice, you know? Uh, there's a book written a few years ago now called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell that was fascinating about people that are world-class at what they do and what it takes to get there. And he said, it's 10, you need to do something for 10,000 hours to get world-class. And he goes through like Tiger Woods and golf and um, how Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were in just the right place at just the right time when the computer industry was at this place and they had an interest and they had opportunity and then they worked their tails off to get really good at it. And that's, that's how things happen. So you work hard at it. You just, you don't, you don't get good at anything by accident. You don't get good at anything on your own. You know, there's a line that we stand on the shoulders of giants and in whatever you're good at, you do. Like there are people that went before you that you followed, um, that you've learned from either intentionally or unintentionally that's helped you get better. 
And the more intentional you are about getting better at something, the better you get at something. Uh, that's just true. Now, what does that mean for our, our spiritual lives? Uh, and I think it means a lot. Do, we, do you think of following Jesus as something that you're good at? I wonder if for any of us, we thought, you know what? I, here's something I'm good at. I'm pretty good at following Jesus. I bet none of us think of it like that, you know? But I think it would be helpful for us if we did think of it like that. We thought of it as a, like a skill, like cooking or parenting. And it's a little bit weird because um, because that could get legalistic, you know what I mean? And we were so scared of that, rightfully in some ways. But But in some ways, it would be really helpful to think about it like that. There's a guy that I've mentioned a few times in the last few months named Dallas Willard. He wrote uh, this book, among others, called The Divine Conspiracy that's been really helpful, and he talks a lot about what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And one of the things that he says is he says, in our culture, we've made it possible for you to be a Christian without being a disciple. And those, and it all depends how you define these things, but those two things shouldn't be divorced from each other. So, you know, being a Christian is believing that Jesus was divine, um, the Son of God, that he came from heaven to earth and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our imperfect life. You know, he traded his righteousness for our unrighteousness on the cross. And, and so um, being a Christian, is being reconciled to God is not about what we have done for him, not about being a good Christian, but what he has done for us. And so then you believe that and that he rose from the dead and, and conquered sin and death, and then you're a Christian. But um, Willard says, we, like, it's like another step for us to be a disciple, but that's not the way that it was. Like, once you believe that, then you are a disciple, and the goal is to become uh, more like Jesus. And he, he talks about a disciple is like an apprentice. And so he, he says people who are asked whether they are an apprentice of a politician or a musician or a lawyer or a screenwriter don't need to think about it for a second to respond. They know that they are or they aren't, you know. Um, and yet— like, are we apprentices of, of Jesus? Do we think about it like that? He said, it's hardly something that would escape one's attention. The same is all the more true if asked about discipleship to Jesus. But if asked whether they're a good apprentice of whatever person or line of work concerned, they might very well hesitate. They might say no or yes. If asked if they could be a better student or apprentice, they'd probably say yes. And he said all of this falls squarely within the category of being a disciple or an apprentice. For to be a disciple in any area or relationship is not to be perfect. One can be a very raw and incompetent beginner and still be a disciple. A disciple is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. Uh, and I'd venture to guess that whatever it is that you listed that you're good at, you have been an apprentice, either up close or from a distance, of someone who is really good at that thing. You know, over the years, um, there are just certain people that I've, as a, as a preacher, um, that I want to be like. And they're not bad preachers. They're preachers that I really resonate with, and it's like different ones over different times. You know, my old boss and my old church and the pastor at the church that I was at before that in Ohio. And, um, you know, Tim Keller, like I get made fun of this a lot for, but I listened to a lot of his sermons earlier because he's so good at what he does. And so the temptation is to not become who you're supposed to be as that, but to try and become like that person is. And there's different people that you follow. 
and you emulate and that helps you become better at whatever it is you know when i when i want to cook something that get on the internet and look up recipes and they you know they always have stars for the recipes you don't look at recipes that have two and a half or three stars and think i want to cook that no you look for the four and a half star things and think i bet this is good and so you you try it out you know as a dad my, my dad was a great dad and so there's a lot of things that i do that are just what he did and i emulate that there is a guy who uh right when we got married um, he helped me at our old church um, set up the premarital stuff uh, that we do. His name was Bob Malone. His wife was Juanita Malone, and they were retired uh, down here from Buffalo. He was a school administrator and um, just a great family. Now, his kids were grown, but every year between Christmas and New Year's, they would rent a house out at the Outer Banks at like Corolla or Duck, and their grown kids and their families every year they would all come and just hang out in this house for the week and i thought man when my kids and he had four kids when my kids are grown uh i want to be like bob malone like i want to be a dad in such a way that my kids want to bring their families to be with us because that just looks awesome you know and so you find people like that and you emulate them and that you are an apprentice in some ways do you have people that, uh, are, that are good at following Jesus <laughs> and you want to be good at following Jesus the way they are good at following Jesus? People that are growing to be more like Jesus, that are growing to do the things that they do in the way Jesus would do them, and you think, I want to be more like they are um, in the way that I follow Jesus. Willard says, as a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. And so his definition of discipleship is this, is being with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or become like that what that person is an apprentice of jesus is learning from him how to lead their life as he would lead their life if he were that you got to read that a few times but it'll make sense you know and so we're apprentices of jesus but are there people that are really good at that that we want to be like are there people of whom you think they're really good at following jesus and i want to follow jesus like they follow jesus and maybe they can teach me how to follow Jesus. Now, grant that that's a little bit more nebulous than learning how to hit a three iron or use an Instapot. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a little bit more complicated than that. But we should think that way. Are we more capable of doing what Christ did or being who Christ was than we were a year ago? Like, is that a, a skill, really, that we're developing or a character trait um, that we're growing in? Because it's supposed to be, and I, I think we're, you know, we're missing out on it, and we're missing out on the relationships that could really help us with that. The series we just finished about Peter and spiritual formation and the six critical, the stages of the critical journey, um, you know, is the recognition of God and then the life of discipleship and the productive life and the inward journey and the outward journey and the life of love. A big part of the reason I did that series was so that you could think and I could think, okay, where am I on this? You know, and again, it's an imperfect framework, but like, oh, I remember that stage, and I can look back and think, oh, yeah, I was there. 
you know, then um, this seems familiar now, but I've also leaned into this a little bit, so maybe I'm about here. But also so that you could look at the people around you and think, well, oh man, that, that person is like over here. You know, I was with Justin Beagler the other day. We we're talking about Todd St. John and like some of the stuff that he went through a few years ago thinking, oh, Todd's over here. And so Justin intentionally spends time with Todd, you know, because he's there. Glenn has talked about, you know, a time in life and the dark night of the soul and that's stage four. And so like you recognize that, but you also recognize people that are in that recognition of God stage or the discipleship stage. And, you know, I want you to think that. And like, maybe that person can help me get there, but maybe I can help that person get here. Uh, because that's something that, that not just our church, but the church doesn't have do well as part of the culture of the church, but something we really want to develop as a culture of a church. I'm going to take a look um, for a few minutes at um, some, just some verses from Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy, because this is probably the best example of, that we have of this in the New Testament, this type of relationship is Paul and Timothy. And just draw out some things that I think are applicable for how we relate to each other uh, today and challenge us on this. So this is right at the beginning of First Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Just that language, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. If, if you sit in that for a second, what would it take for you to, to give or to receive that greeting to someone? To be someone's, to feel like you're their child in the faith, that they were like a father or a mother to you in the faith, or to be able to say that to someone, like you are my child in the faith. Um, this might be the hardest passage that I go through today because that is almost, it feels weird, you know, to say something like that. It's so personal and almost possessive and the stuff can get weird, but like, what would it take to understand someone's influence in your spiritual life like that, um, to that, to that depth? Because uh, it, it seems common in the New Testament. A um, few verses later. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting that some have made shipwreck of their faith. This charge I entrust to you. Is there, are there people in your life that have given you spiritual responsibility? Uh, they've charged you with something spiritually, and would you receive it? Uh, how have you received it when they did? I mentioned you know, probably a month ago now, a relationship with a friend of mine in Columbus named Ben Sam and him trying to get me to take this teaching course that ended up like changing my life, you know? And so that was kind of like this, but not really. He was trying to charge me, but we didn't have that, that type, he didn't have that type of authority in my life, you know? Um, but that's what he was trying to do. Like trying to give me a spiritual responsibility and say, get in the game, you know? In accordance with the prophecies previously made, has anyone spoken into you what the Lord has in store for you? Has anyone given you a vision of how the Lord could use you? Um, again, that is a time when I was in, back in Ohio. Uh, there was a pastor at that church, big church. He was an associate pastor over like our ministry. And he told a friend of mine um, in a conversation, he said, watch Ramsey. 
he's got a pastor's heart. And I had started teaching in these studies and it was going well. And he didn't say, watch Ramsey, you know, he's a pretty good teacher. He, he said, watch Ramsey, he's got a pastor's heart. And my friend probably wasn't supposed to tell me that, but told me that. And that was big. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't everything, but it was really something and got me thinking, ah, what does that mean? Um, and it, it was years before I became a pastor, but that never left me. You know, are there people that's, that speak almost prophetically into you? This is what I think God has store in store for you. And how great would it be if you don't have that to, to have people like this? And then by that, you may wage the good warfare because there's a lot at stake spiritually. There's a lot at stake, and God wants to use you. I don't think it's very much on our radar to talk to each other like this, and I think we're missing out. First uh, Timothy 3, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. I long to be with you. Even that, like, that— you know, and I think we feel that now. Like, I long to not be in an empty rim preaching to a camera, and I love it when we've had people in the room or out in the parking lot. Um, I long just to, just to know how things are going, to be, to be able to be with people on a consistent basis. I long to be with you. Um, but then I'm going to instruct you, and I'm confident in your ability to carry out these instructions. Um, are there, do we speak into each other? Like, are there people that can speak to you like that or that you speak to like that? Now, Paul uh, goes into this, too. He says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. I'm just going to make a point about looking for folks that are, can be mentors to you spiritually or disciple you. Great is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory but great is the mystery of godliness. Paul knows what he knows. He knows there's stuff that he knows. Paul also knows there's stuff he doesn't know. And this is something you should look for <laughs> in a mentor. You know, Paul has answers, but Paul doesn't have all the answers. The, the mystery of godliness is great, and Paul recognizes that. Um, earlier, Paul has said this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is what we know, the gospel. In another place, Paul says this is the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus um, died for our sins, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is coming back. Like, he's pretty clear on what the gospel is, but then the mystery of godliness is, is great. And then he says, to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Like, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm coaching you to follow Jesus, not to follow me. Um, and so find you a mentor like that. If you find a spiritual mentor that, um, that knows everything, that doesn't have any questions, and that doesn't have a good sense of their own flaws and sinfulness, then run away from them. And don't run away slow. Run away fast, you know, because uh, th this stuff can get weird, and people can get it in their ego, and get about power, and I think you see that today in some churches. You know, 30, 40 years ago, there was the shepherding movement is what they ended up being called, where it got cult-like and possessive and controlling. And so sin is real in this stuff. Like, there's a humility that has to go into this relationship. And we live in a time where 
it, it's the air we breathe, so we don't realize it, but, but we are a radically individualistic culture, and so we naturally resist this type of relationship. You know, language like, hey, you be you, you know, or your truth is your truth, or have it your way, all fights against, um, all fights against this type of, of relationship. And so they're, they're even in this, like there are things that give you clues about what, what type of person you need to look for and what type of person you need to be. Um, an awareness of your faults and, you know, an awareness of what you know and what you don't know is key to that. First Timothy 4, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Um, again, in this relationship, let no one look down on you because you're young, <laughs> but lead the way that I was char- I've charged you to lead. Do you have people, do you have someone that speaks into your life and says, hey, don't let anybody look down on you, you know, uh, because you don't have a zillion scripture verses memorized. Don't let them look down on you because of you, you don't, you, you know, you don't have a college degree. Don't let them look down on you because of some status thing or because you don't have a lot of money or because, you know, you, you're not uber talented in whatever it is. Like, that's not what this is about. It's what God's gifted you in and what God has called you to. He says, don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Uh, remember the gift that God gave you. Do you ever wake up, or maybe how many days out of the week do you wake up thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have anything to offer. You know, I don't know that I have any gifts. Do you need someone to remind you of who God says you are and your value? Um, I do, <laughs> you know, because this part of the reason that I started the sermon with, hey, what are a couple things that you're good at? Because we focus so much more on the things that we're bad at than the things that we're good at, and we need people to remind us of those things. Do you have someone that speaks that stuff into you personally? And then right at the end of First Timothy, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue steadfastness, pursue gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. O Timothy, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Timothy, like just this reminder from Paul to Timothy, this is hard. This is faith. Life is hard. Faith is hard. Leadership is hard. Keep going. Keep growing in this. You can do this. Take hold of what is yours in Christ. Man, we all need people that will speak that into our lives. We all need that. This is from 2 Timothy. Paul says to him, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he makes that relationship like normative. What 
what you've heard from me, these types of things that you've heard from me, you pass on to other people that they're going to pass on to people you know, beyond them. And really, like, that's the reason we're here is that the church has done this for 2,000 years where we passed on the things that we've heard, you know, and we've had these types of relationships that are influential. And, and we feel like, as a church, there's a, just a, an aspect of our church culture that we need to grow in, in, in having these types of, you know, deeper, more intentional relationships. Let me give you this grid. I, I was thinking about this this week, and I found it helpful. And so this should be, like, right over here somewhere, of, of personal um, and impersonal and intentional and unintentional and people that speak into our lives. So there are some people that it's intentional, um, and it's also personal. You know, they know you well, and they really want to speak, and you want them to speak into their life. When I was in high school, uh, we went to a small church, <clears throat> probably about 100 people, and there was a guy at the church named Mark Roots, who was a, a Milwaukee city police officer, and he kind of took me under wing and discipled me for a while. It wasn't long, but I can remember going to his house. Um, he had a young family at the time, and helping him out, you know, with stuff around the house. We need older house and trying to fix some stuff and learning a few things, but he just wanted to pour into me um, spiritually, and that mattered. It was great. The guy, Ben Sam, that I mentioned, you know, that had lunch with me and kept badgering me, like, Ben was intentional, and he was personal. He got to know me. Steve Edmonds was probably like that, that pastor up there that spoke into me, knew me, and was in, in, intentional about it, and so that's great. There are some people that are um, personal, they know you, but they're, it's kind of unintentional, but they rub off on you, you know? So my dad might be, in, from a spiritual standpoint, um, just my dad, when we were still in the same house um, when I was in high school, he was spiritually pretty young. It's not like we sat down and he taught me Bible lessons and, um, and we prayed together, but I do remember my dad, like, most mornings coming down and seeing him on the couch in the living room um, reading his Bible and praying, and just the way that um, you just got to get around my dad for a while. Get, go, to, go to lunch or dinner with my dad and have him pray for the meal and the server and everything. Like, my dad loves Jesus, and that rubs off on everyone that's around him personal, but maybe a little bit unintentional. My old boss, Mike Lee, uh, I texted him on his birthday this year, and I said, hey man, um, happy birthday. I just wanted you to know that next to my dad, you probably have influenced me more than any other, any other man in my life. And he texted me back. He's like, wow, you know, thanks. He didn't, this just wasn't his goal, but that's what happened because I spent so much time around him for so many years. Personal, um, personal, but unintentional, you know, there's, there's intentional and impersonal. So like C.S. Lewis <laughs> was intentional because he wrote books that he knew people would read, um, but it's, it's impersonal, you know, like, uh, but it's been really influential, and I've been intentional about reading his books. Tim Keller would be the same way, pastor, and there's a number of pastors in that where they wrote, and they spoke, and did conferences, and stuff like that, so it's intentional, but it's impersonal, um, because they don't know me, and I don't know them, but it's still shaping, you know what I mean? And then there's the last category of impersonal and unintentional, and not much good happens in that category. This is like everything on TV and the internet is impersonal and unintentional, but it is shaping us more than we can imagine it's shaping us. There's a line a few years ago where someone said, hey, if you don't disciple your kids intentionally, <laughs> personally and intentionally when it comes to Jesus, uh, 
the culture will gladly do that for you and is doing that all the time. That, I just think this grid is helpful to think about, you know, and the more we're in that upper left corner, I guess, I don't know what that is for you, like the, the more effective we're gonna be. Add a dimension to that in spiritual and unspiritual, like I've carved this out spiritually, but unspiritually think about, you know, the things that you're good at and who is it in that personal and intentional category? Like if you have gridded a sport, you had a coach that took an interest in you, or if fitness is a thing for you, you probably have a trainer or a dietitian that it's personal and it's intentional. Um, you know, you, it, it was, might've been a, a college professor or someone that you were an apprentice to or a coworker that mentors you. And you think about how those things have shaped you and how we need those things uh, those like they're beneficial to us to grow in being better at following Jesus and in spiritual maturity. So I'm going to saw that I'm going to leave you with just a few questions and thoughts um, to challenge you and in trying to figure out again, this is a culture change. This is going to be one message. But if you think about that, like just to get things going. And so starting with where I was at the beginning, do you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Like, is that a goal? Is that something you want to get better at? Is that something you want to think, you know, this is something that I'm good at is following Jesus. And then how do you think that's going to happen? Like, are you intentional about that? Do you take steps? And if you're tuning in and you're active in the life of the church, that's part of being intentional about growing as a disciple of Jesus, because that's our goal, you know? And so part of it is going to be church life and and home groups and, you know, women's and men's events and Bible studies and stuff like that. So core groups and all those things. Uh, some of it's going to be personal devotion, uh, but it, a lot of it. But part of it needs to be intentional, sought out relationships for the purpose of helping each other grow um, spiritually. Find people of whom you think they are good at following Jesus. I want to follow Jesus the way they follow Jesus, and that'll help me become more like Jesus. And home groups, Dan and I were talking about this, are like, you know, the place to find that person. And they kind of start impersonal because you don't own people, but then you get to know people, and then it becomes personal, and then you can see where they are on the path, and then you can, you know, ask them to help you. Um, uh, serving in ministry is a context for that. You know, you serve alongside somebody in a children's ministry classroom or, at, at, you know, at a door greeting. You learn stuff about them, and you may figure out that this is somebody— um, that I could have an intentional relationship, but it could be, a, you know, a co-worker who's a Christian or a family member. So all that, are you looking for that? <clears throat> Say this, start with a struggle. Start with a struggle. So there's a margin on which, like, um, the Holy Spirit is trying to shape you and transform you to be more like Christ, where you're struggling. And, and there's, it's helpful in these relationships to have a context to work with. So when I was... Um, uh, when I was back at Hope and working with some college students, I can remember these two guys specifically asking for help. And one guy was like, hey, can you disciple me? And I'm like, sure. And so we sit down, but this guy had everything so together that it was hard to figure out. He ended up going to seminary and becoming a pastor, you know? Like, but it was just hard because there wasn't some margin of thing he wanted help with. There was another guy, didn't really necessarily want to be discipled, but was really struggling with pornography. And he's like, hey, can you help me with this? And I'm like, yeah, I can help you with that. Like, been down that road and had some victory with it, and so let me help you. And then I ended up discipling him and, and being really influential with his life. Find something where you can say, hey, can you help me with this? Like, this aspect of your spiritual life you're really good at. Can you help me um, get better at that? So start with a struggle. Um, look in both directions. It's kind of figurative language, but like crossing the street, you know, 
in that stages of the critical journey, <coughs> I think it's, you hear this message, you're like, yeah, I want, I want somebody to help me get there, but you got to think about who can I help get here. Um, and maybe in a, like a lose your life to save it, and it's more blessed to give than to receive, and just the reality that the church, not just our church, but the church, I don't know many churches that are good at this, and there's an element of we have to start somewhere, you know? We don't have a lot of gray hair folks around our church, <laughs> and so for some of it's going to be hard to find, harder to find that person, and, and this is one of the things as elders we talked about this summer is that we're now the group of people we wish we'd had alongside us when we planted the church 15 years ago, so now we can come alongside people that are a few steps behind us, you know, either in specific things w relating maybe to marriage or parenting or professionally or whatever it is. And so look both ways. You may try and find that person for yourself, but look to be that person um, for somebody else. And that's intimidating for a lot of us to think, like, I've got something to pass on to somebody. And if it's intimidating to you and there's some trepidation, good. Because <laughs> that means that you've got some humility, you know. And, and Paul had that. And yet, Paul was willing to say, um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And if you've walked with Jesus for a while, you should, you should be able to own your growth and say, yeah, there are areas of my walk with Jesus that I have grown in, and he has grown me, and the Holy Spirit has changed me. And then you can say with confidence to the people around you, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Um, and we should, be, we should have that confidence. And then lastly, know that intentional personal discipleship, it's hard and it's rare in our culture. Um, it's, this won't be easy, but it, but it is possible. And it may get a little bit harder as you get older, you know, when our children's ministry is set up to have intentional personal mentors to disciple our, our kids. You know, we want those relationships to be significant relationships. And for my kids, like we were talking about this the other day, they were going through all their teachers and you are significant in their lives. For our teens, you know, the benefit of having a smaller youth group is that those relationships become more meaningful because they're more personal. And that's what I want is people that will, will be influential in the life of my teens that they can look up to and say, you know, I want to be like that um, person. In college, you know, it's there if you look for it in campus ministries. And it's like easier because you've got seniors and juniors and sophomores and freshmen. And so like it's easier to figure out. It just gets harder when you, um, when you get past that. Um, and so that's part of the reason we don't do it, and yet it's, it's um, it, you know, it's worth it. I have a buddy who, um, he's a pastor, in, and uh, he had a, he had recently, he had a ment kind of an impersonal, from a distance mentor who was his pastor when he was in his 20s, similar to what I was talking about, like the guy that helped him discern his call into ministry, and then and they know each other f through circles, and that guy now is, you know, 20, 30 years past, and said, hey, I'd like to spend some time with you and mentor you, and he was like, oh, that'd be awesome, but then it turned out getting on his text list of encouragement every day, he's like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, it's hard. Um, it's, it's rare, but that's why I'm talking about it, and we'll talk about it um, going forward, because it, it's something that, that is a culture change that needs to happen, an expectation um, in the church. And I realized, just as I was starting this message and talking about things that I was good at, um, I would be better at each of those things if I had done more of this. If I had taken the time and the effort and sought out someone specifically to be personal and intentional to help me get better at being a dad, 
um, at cooking, at preaching, you know, a coach, an individual coach that would watch my sermons and then give me feedback on that that's gone before me. And I realized that, that at least part, if not most, of the reason I haven't done that is my own pride. And I think that's a big part of our problem. And so don't let your pride get in the way of this helping us uh, grow in Jesus. I, I've thought about this so much over the past few months, and I've thought, you probably, in your lifetime, in that grid, you're going to have, you know, 10 people that are really influential, super influential in your spiritual growth with Jesus. They're not going to, they're going to be in there for a season of your life, and then you'll take a step, and someone else will be, or a couple people will be influential, and then you'll take, and then there'll be more people that will be influential, and some of them will be personal, and some impersonal, and whatever. And so try and identify who those people are and who's next. But that means you need to be one of those 10 people for somebody around you that you know is just spiritually not as mature and hasn't been doing this as long as you have. And so think about, pray about, ask God, who might you be one of those people um, in your life? Father, uh, I'm thankful for <laughs> your word. I'm thankful for this relationship between Paul and Timothy and the picture that it offers uh, to us. I, um, man, I regret that we read that, and it seems kind of foreign to us, and I know that's part of the culture that we're in is so different from the culture that they were in, and the context is different, but part of it is just that we haven't taken the time and effort and energy, and we've let our pride get in the way of, of doing that. So I pray that you would shape us as a church, that you would shape us as individuals, that you would bring to mind um, people that we need to reach out to and say, hey, can you help me with this? Or just to try and create context and, and to help them in, in their growth as a disciple of Jesus, Lord, and that ultimately that would, that would glorify you. It would bear fruit in our walk with you, but it would give you glory and, and um, make your ch church look more like what your church is supposed to look like and, um, and help people come to know and follow you better. Father, we love you. Uh, we're grateful, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.